Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 202, BGA Awards 2018. We like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. All right, Anthony. Well, here we are, a new year, 2019. I know it just started, but so far so good, right? So far so good, yeah. <laughs> no games played yet, but... It's happening. Yeah, we have a definitely a good year to look forward to. Just finished up our 200th episode, our five-year anniversary. Got a bunch of great games from PAX Unplugged. Got a bunch of great games from the Christmas holiday season. And 2019 looks like a great year for board gaming. So before we go into everything from 2019, that'll in fact be our next episode, we're going to take a look back at 2018 and see what games we played, what fun we had at the table, and what things you should look out for if you didn't get a chance to get these games to the table. All right, with that said, let's get on to our awards. So first up, and always most important, is our listeners. So we reached out to our listeners and we asked them what categories and what things that they want to hear about from our BGA Awards 2018. And they had a lot of different categories. So we went deep into our research and into all the back catalog for 2018. 
and we came up with some great winners for you. So, Anthony, why don't you tell us our first category? All right. Yeah, so uh, the first one that everybody asked about, and I think everybody always asks this because a lot of these award shows end up having the same games, more or less, the top percentage of games in any given year, usually the same for most reviewers. But people wanted to know what our underrated gems of the year are. Not necessarily our best of the year, but the games that we felt not enough people were talking about, but that are still really good and you should check out. That's what this category is, is games that we've played and we loved and just really haven't heard or seen much about since then. For me, the the game I wanted to mention for this is Castell. This is a game that uh, Chris reviewed way back early in the year, and I got a chance to play later on from Renegade Games and uh, designer Aaron Vanderbeek. It's about the Catalan tradition of building human towers. And in it, you're gathering all these different tiles and trying to build out your tower and match these different permutations that are shown on the, on the board. And it different types of presentations where you'll be doing these in different cities throughout Spain. It was a really good game. The theme is not something that necessarily is going to resonate with people in the United States because this is maybe something you've seen in a movie, maybe, uh, but it's not really like a part of our culture. But the game itself is very solid, very fun set collection and kind of tableau style building game where you're trying to maximize your score each round. Very well done. I think it fell victim to the glut of games we saw this year from Renegade. They, they're dumping games onto the market every month. They don't promote a lot of them. This game saw little to no buzz outside of the few people who did review it. And uh, I think that hurt its chances. But if you haven't yet, definitely track down Castell. Yeah, I totally agree. This game actually made it up to my top 100 list. There are so many different dynamics to this game. As you mentioned, the theme doesn't really resonate with an American audience, but it's probably something that you've seen on the news or on different stations showing these kind of like cultural events. And the mechanics are what really set this game apart. There's an action selection dial that allows you to gain special abilities. There are public goals. There are private goals. And what's really interesting is basically there's kind of like a set collection mechanic where you're gaining all these different castellers to kind of put together your tower. And you actually have to build your tower to show that you can make that design because each city wants a certain kind of performance. It's a really great game. It's beautifully overproduced. But as Anthony said, Renegade did not get this out to the media, did not promote the game. And typically their games are fairly expensive, more expensive than probably they should be, maybe by 10 or $15, which keeps it out of the hands of people who would normally just pick up a game to try it out. So a fantastic game. Highly recommend. It's definitely a gem in the rough there that no one's picking up. Another game that I want to talk about, my Overlook gen of, of the year, is Gizmos. And this was a game that I did not think that was going to be particularly interesting or dynamic in any particular way. Simon has kind of like an interesting business model where they kind of produced a little bit of everything. So they have the big, heavy war games, and they have the interesting, dynamic Euro games, and then they have the family fun kind of games. And Gizmo came out, and there really is barely any theme on this game whatsoever. It's basically you're building gizmos. Okay, but the box doesn't really, you know, communicate any thematic kind of like dramatic tension about what's going on or what you're going to be building or how dynamic it is. It's kind of a gray box with some the marbles kind of floating around. So it doesn't do a lot to kind of communicate the game experience. And the game experience itself comes down to being this big gray monolith 
that holds marbles that roll down in a single row. So when you look at it, you're like, hey, this is kind of like Potion Explosion, but not as colorful and or interesting. So I'm just going to keep playing Potion Explosion because why would I want to play this? But it's actually a really interesting dynamic set collection, Euro uh, machine tableau builder. So basically, you have this little board in front of you that kind of shows you where you place your cards. And as you take marbles, that allows you to buy other little gizmos. And as you take other marbles later, that activates your gizmos based upon what the little card happens to say. So there's a really interesting, dynamic, kind of fun situation where you built a part of the machine. It triggers. Another part triggers. Another part triggers. Another part triggers. And you really get a, a really great experience of that. It just, unfortunately, because of Potion Explosion, because there really wasn't any overarching theme here, this game got lost. But when I brought it to the table, people wanted to play it again and again. So if you haven't gotten a chance to play Gizmos yet, I definitely recommend it because it's really one of the overlooked gems of the year. All right, Anthony. So what's our next category? All right. Next up is most innovative of the year. What game or type of game or whatever happened in the gaming sphere was most innovative and unique and different from what we're used to seeing? For me, the answer to that was Keyforge as the the kind of the unique deck take on collectible card games from Richard Garfield kind of came out of nowhere at a Gen Con and has stormed at least my local gaming scene here. Everything sold out immediately. It was hard to find. There's somehow they managed to build a secondary market here. The game is just, it's such a different way to do this in that every single deck is unique. Every name on the decks is unique. Every picture on the back of the cards in your deck is unique. And so there's almost like this meta game where opening the deck and looking to see what the name is and what cards are in it is its own game as you compete with other people. Very, very interesting. I also happen to like the game quite a bit. It's in one of my, you know, probably my top 10 for the year. But in terms of innovation, I think uh, Keyforge definitely takes the cake uh, with the unique gaming system it has. Chronicles of Crime was a game that, once again, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, here's another gimmick using your phone and an app and things like that. And there's QR codes. And all right, this is going to be one of those situations where it's only a gimmick and yet it's going to run on rails. But in fact, Chronicles of Crime does something really interesting, which allows you to play or I guess investigate a murder here in a very sandbox kind of way, because there is a murder scene. There are witnesses there is a clues to examine. There is forensic em evidence, which you can take back to the lab. And then you take your phone and you, you can use these little goggles to kind of get a closer look and zoom in on the different situations. And you're trying to find out what's going on here. But who do you talk to? When do you talk to them? And what different experts do you bring in on the situations? Completely up to you. And how you solve that mystery is going to be based upon your own investigative style. So I was really kind of a little bit blown away by this, that it wasn't a game that was just all the little bit of technology, but the technology itself is fantastic. Being able to zoom in and being able to investigate different parts of a scene and take a look at different things and different clues and talk to different people and ask people about other people that was really dynamic and that was really interesting. And for me, that's why it's the most innovative game of the year. 
All right, Anthony, what's our next category? Next up is kind of related to the last one. Uh, biggest surprise of 2018. And I'd say related because for me, with unique games, it's, it's a new concept. We don't get a ton of new concepts in board gaming anymore. We do get some companies trying to give us new concepts and they maybe do or do not work out. Uh, but in this case, Fantasy Flight said, hey, we're going to make games where every single box, every single deck, every single everything is 100% unique in the world. And you're the only one who owns that. And on one hand, we had Keyforge, which, like I said, is one of my top 10 games of the year. And on the other hand, we had Discover, Lands Unknown, which is not very good. So <laughs> don't actually know how this is going to pan out yet. Keyforge seems like a hit. We'll see if it sticks around for uh, beyond the kind of cycle of hype. Discover, very much not a hit. But the whole idea of having unique stuff and then having the technology to do that is very, very interesting to me. And I want to see where it goes next. Yeah, for me, what the most, I guess dramatic <laughs> and biggest surprise of the year would have to be Starling Games. Now, if you don't know, Starling Games, which is run by Dan Yarrington, used to be Game Salute. Now, if you've been backing Kickstarters for, I would say, I don't know, the last three to five years, then you know about Game Salute. They had a lot of Kickstarters up there, and a lot of the Kickstarters failed and failed miserably or just didn't come in on time or not well produced. There was just a, an endless number of problems. I refer you to the multiple BGG threads about that. So when Game Salute rebranded as Starling Games, I think the entire industry and everybody who backed a Kickstarter from them was kind of suspicious that, you know, you can change a name, but it just doesn't mean it's going to change the company. But in fact, Starling Games has done an outstanding job of having their Kickstarters come in on time, come in well-produced or highly produced, and produce some fabulous games. Obviously, Everdale has been a huge success. Arc Mage has been a huge success. They, you know, was able to get out King's Forge, nothing personal, kind of got a reboot. And everything about them recently has been on the up and up. Uh, we deal with Brenna from Starling Games, and she's been quite pleasant and open to the media and talking about the situation. You can go to Every Night is Game Night, our sister podcast. Jason did an interview with her about this transformation that the company has undergone. And he asked some pretty tough questions, and she's really open about it. And the company has been fantastic. So, you know, the biggest transformative prize for me this year has been the fantastic games the company and especially especially the designers of those games that uh, starling games has put out all right anthony let's get on to something that may be a little bit on the uh controversial side let's get on to our next category all right so uh we we had a request uh, somebody asked us what theme do we think is done at least for a little while uh based on the games of 2018 <laughs> Obviously, themes get played out a little bit, some of them more than others. Um, and I think in 2018, like from my perspective, at least, the one that kind of died out, at least for now, I know there's a couple more coming next year, is Vikings. There really weren't a lot of Viking games. And whether you like Vikings or don't like Vikings, you have to agree that there has been a lot of them of lately. And uh, it's they get repetitive, right? So um, it's always nice when we move on to new themes, interesting themes, something different anything different honestly and uh, i think vikings is at least for a short little while until that sequel to champions of midgard comes out um should be on hold yeah for me a theme that always seems to die and unfortunately always seems to come back to life would be <laughs> of course 
zombies. Now, we have often, how would you say, uh, eulogized the uh, death of the zombie theme only to see that it keeps rearing its ugly head. And I have by no means any uh, delusions that this is a done and gone theme. But I think with, in particular, seeing more games kind of take on the Cthulhu mythos, I think that's kind of replacing the kind of horror theme that we've seen on a lot of games. And obviously with Gen 7 coming out, which was, I guess, kind of like a mark of like, hey, you know, we're kind of moving on from the, you know, horror survival of the undead a little bit there. So I think that we'll see more different themes and I think we'll see more Cthulhu themes I'm sure the the zombies will be there. Obviously, Simon has a good amount of money and they're always picking up zombie-themed games and obviously Access and Allies and Zombies will always be there. But I think that we are finally starting to see the eventual rotting decline of zombies. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> so, Anthony, we've been talking about some great games here. How about some great expansions? What's your best from uh, 2018. All right. So there were a lot of good expansions this year. There always are. Terraforming Mars had two that I really liked. There's a few others that really stuck stuck out. But the one to me that did its job, which is to bring an old game back to the table, reinvigorate the game, change it a little bit, and make it unique and interesting to new people, is Seven Wonders Armada. This is the fourth expansion for Seven Wonders, so it has a lot of content in it. But this one in particular, I feel, adds a lot of new ideas that really work. So you get a separate naval board and you get one uh, ship for each different color of card that you might play. So you have red for military, yellow for commerce, blue for points and uh, or culture and green for technology. And every time you play a card of one of those colors, you can pay a little bit extra based on what's on the naval board and move your ship forward. And then you get a bonus related to whatever that is. So on the naval side, you're actually going to have a separate combat round, which is going to impact everybody that... Well, obviously, we have a little bit more interaction now in the game. Um, you can get more coins. You can get more points. You can get through the technologies. You can explore new islands that give you other bonuses on top of everything else. Lots and lots of cool stuff here. Expands your tableau, gives you more stuff to do, makes you think about all the cards you're drafting so that even when you get to the end of a round and you don't really care anymore or they're all just garbage cards, you can look at them and say, well, I could move my ship with this one, but not with this one, so I'll take this one. I really, really like it because it enhances the interactivity of a game that is notoriously non-interactive, especially if people ignore the military cards, and it gives you something new to do so you're never just stuck with a dead card. So Seven Wonders Armada for me is the best expansion of the year. Yeah, the best expansion for me is something I talked about previously and obviously raised the game to a higher level, and that's Rise of Fenris for Scythe. Now, Scythe was already a good game when it came out, it got a little bit better with its two expansions, adding factions and adding airships. Those were good. But Rise of Fenris really and finally made Scythe a great game. Now, I can't go into too much why that is because some spoilers remain there. And I don't think there's been enough time that's gone by. So I don't want to ruin anything for you. Now, it's not a legacy game where if I say something, you'll it'll just break the game. But let me say this. It adds more stuff. And the stuff that it adds is good. And I would say, and I've said this before, if you have to pick up any of the expansions, 
pick up Rise of Fenris. It's better than the other two expansions combined. It adds enough stuff that gives more to the game that was not there previously. And it changes the game up enough that once you're able to get through the whole expansion or like the kind of campaign situation there, you'll be able to play the game differently again and again. So rip through that expansion if you haven't played Scythe in some time because I think this really dramatically changes it and adds more to it, more of the same to it. So hopefully that makes some sense without spoiling anything for you. But it it really is a wonderful expansion and absolutely positively needed. It really brings Scythe up a huge next step. All right, Anthony, we've been talking about the best, but let's now talk about the most underrated games. Yes, absolutely. So uh, these are the games that just for whatever reason haven't really struck a chord. And this is a little bit different than the Hidden Gems in that these are maybe not rated very highly. They're not, you know, nowhere near the top thousand games on BGG or anything like that. Don't have a lot of players, don't have a lot of ratings. Maybe the ratings aren't that great, but we think they're awesome. And so for me, the game I really wanted to highlight was Pococo. This is a trick-taking game, but not really. It's more of a bidding game because what you're doing is you're bidding on who's going to win the tricks. And that's how you're going to score points in the game. It comes with these beautiful cards that array in this peacock-shaped holder that you're going to have in front of you. And then everybody else can see your cards. You cannot see your own cards. So you'll be playing them depending on a lot of different factors and how you want to play your cards out there. But other people will be making decisions and bidding based on what they think you're going to be able to do. It's a lot of fun. It really inverts things. It's hard to wrap your head around a little bit. But for a guy who doesn't like trick-taking games a ton, I think this one does really interesting things with the genre that are interesting. And there's always something fun to do, unlike some other games that use that mechanic. Yeah, for me, a game that is tremendously underrated and maybe a little for good reason is empires of the void Two. now why i said maybe for good reason is because it's had a long history originally it was empires of the void and it was an early kickstarter game from ryan lockett and basically we are looking at a 4x game here and the first one did okay but underwhelmed and ryan returned to the game for empires of the void Two. And the game excels. It's really a a fantastic game in what has to be, and I I don't think this is even arguable, the most challenging, fierce board gaming genre out there. So talking about 4X in space, obviously you have Twilight Imperium out there, which is just such a megalith. And then you have Eclipse that's out there, (laughs) which is just also another gigantic, phenomenal game. And then there's a a number of others. There's Star Wars Rebellion. There's Star Trek Ascendancy. There's a lot of big sci-fi 4X games out there. So Empires of the Void 2 just has not gotten the table time that it deserves, has not gotten the, the great gamers that it deserves because they're probably playing some of the other big games. But if you do get a chance... And you absolutely should. Empires of the Void 2 does upgrade from the original tremendously. And it utilizes some of the aspects of the other Locket games, but at the same time does keep enough of the hard edge of 4X that makes it a good game, if not a great game for 4X players. All right, Anthony, so that's our listener questions. Let's get on to our own categories. Let's see what BGA has to offer 
we're going to take these categories a little different. You've heard all of the top 10 lists of 2018. We want to give you some of the interesting twists of things that you may or may not have missed this year. So starting off, we are talking about games that have gotten a 2.0 version and which of those are best for the year. So Anthony, what do you have for us? Yes, yes. This was one where I was looking through the top 100, 150 games or so on BGG for the year based on their ranking. And a lot of games got 2.0 updates this year, like Thunderstone Quest and Arkham Horror and all those games, or 3.0 even. So I want to look at which of those were the best for us. And for me, this was a no-brainer because Brass was a game that I missed in its early iterations. Got a chance to play Brass Lancashire, the nice shiny version from Roxley. And then played Brass Birmingham, which is just even that much better and is now in my top 10 games of all time. So clearly it had to be Brass. This is just, it takes everything that makes the original Brass good, but it adds this very interesting extra layer mechanics where you have to spend an extra resource in the form of beer to be able to sell things into these different markets. Adds a little bit more strategy in terms of where you go and when you build and how you build and what you hope other people take from you. There's some new stuff that you can put out there that expands your options a little bit. And I think it really works in a lot of ways. I know some people who play the original for years don't necessarily love the changes. I can understand that. I still love Lancashire as well. But for me, Birmingham, elevates brass to to just another level and is the uh for me the 2.0 game of the year i i agree with that i just want to jump in here a little bit because this has been dramatic for me i played the original brass and it's outrageously terrible components in production but beyond that it was an okay game it was even maybe maybe a good game but brass birmingham just elevated the game dramatically i mean if you haven't played this game yet but you do play euro games i would kind of equate it to Terra Mystica and Gaia Project because Terra Mystica was great, but it had some very rote ways of playing it, right? There was like, you take this move, you take this move, you take this move, you take this move, and you put that plan together and you're in great shape because that's how it's going to play out. And it's always going to play out that way because other than the little variabilities with the cards, that's how the game is built. Birmingham brings in so many different dynamics. It kind of opens up the different ports. They switch around a little bit. There's a different resource that's needed, and it just looks gorgeous. So a dramatic you know, 2.0 upgrade. I'm really, really happy with this. The original brass didn't reach my top 100, and now it's well, well up there as well. For me, the 2.0 that really kind of blew me away was Azul, Stained Glass of Sinatra. And I liked Azul, and I think I talked about this previously. Azul was a game that was always in my shopping cart on the websites, and I was like, I'm going to buy this someday. I like this game. It's a good game. It's a good abstract. And I played it many times and I just couldn't pull the trigger on it. And then I got to play this new version at PAX Unplugged and I just went over and I bought a copy of it It w- without even thinking, like, how much is it? It doesn't really matter. I'm buying this game. It adds so much. And I know it's not a direct connection, but, you know, the company is calling it Azul as well the pieces are dynamic they flip over they disappear the combinations kind of trigger together and it's just it's so much of a better game that i'm so happy owning this and the original so i don't need anymore i I took it out of my shopping carts it's just it's good but there's a better 2.0 version out there 
Yeah, I would 100% agree with this. I mean, like everything you said about brass is kind of the same, where in the original, you do this, you do this, you do this, you have a limited number of options. In this one, you have so many more options. You score so many more points because of it. I really, really like this one as well. All right, Anthony. So let's get on to some of the fun stuff here. Kickstarters of the year. It's become such a big mainstay in board gaming. It was like, hey, you know what? Kickstarter has a board gaming section. Remember that back in the day? And now Kickstarter... I guess is synonymous with board gaming and it's always part of every conversation. And there's been some fantastic Kickstarters this past year. It's kind of unfair to pick one each, but we have to. So which one is yours? Yeah, no, this is crazy. Like if you look at by rating on BGG, their ranks, seven of the top 10 games from 2018 were Kickstarter releases. So that's insane. It's just a ton, a ton of good stuff coming out there. So it was really hard to pick just one. I already talked about Brass Birmingham. It's way up there for me. But I think in terms of a game that didn't exist before, couldn't have come out anyway, and just stormed everything and just really jumped ahead for me as uh, one of the best games of 2018, it was Root. Root was this... You know, it was a good sized Kickstarter back in 2017. It was from the company that made Vast. People knew the game. They knew the company. They knew what this was going to be roughly. And it was cute little ideas. But nobody knew how big this game was going to be and how good it was going to be and how it managed to take something like Wargame, you know, counterinsurgency Wargaming, and turn it into a relatively accessible, open, multiplayer, asymmetrical game. I absolutely love this game. Um, the ability to get the expansion content on Kickstarter as well, which is now trickling into to retail, I believe, um, added that much more content to it. And I think in 2019, they're going to have another Kickstarter. So even more content coming down the road for this game. It's just, it's one of those games that it hasn't done anything mechanically mind-blowingly different than like these counterinsurgency games that you see but the way it does it the way it presents it the way it makes it so accessible and unique just changes things and i think that's really important and uh, this kind of game wouldn't exist without kickstarter so really excited to have this one on the shelf root yeah i would agree with that i think one of the challenges with kickstarter is you are putting out a lot of money more than retail typically because you're also paying for shipping and of course, you're going to buy the expansion. So you are investing, not just buying a game, but you're investing for a game that you may not see, I don't know, six, nine months, year, two years in advance. So that's a really big commitment for something that you have not gotten to the table or seen in person, or sometimes is not even in production at this point. So it's hard to pull the trigger. But Root was the game this year that if you didn't, you regretted it because it sold it sold out at Gen Con, it sold out at PAX Unplugged, and it sold out on every you know pre-order website that was out there. So man oh man, did it make an impact. And another game that made the same kind of impact out there was obviously the Brass Lancashire, Brass Birmingham Kickstarter. You could buy both at the same time, and it came with fantastic poker chip money that is going I, I i guess double if not triple in the secondary market if you want to pick up that cash beautiful production you could get both games at the same time i mean it's just it was a, a a bounty of riches this year as far as kickstarter is concerned and the game has been pretty much sold out everywhere so now you're going to pay a lot more for it if you're getting in secondary market but these were certainly the big ones to have. Now, speaking about Kickstarters that you may have missed, 
let's talk about games that we miss and games that we wish that we played, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, this is that uh, the category of, man, I wish we'd play this one. And part of this is, obviously, we haven't played every single game that comes out. We try to play a lot of them. And looking through the list, I've played a fair number, like a surprisingly large number of these games have hit my table somehow, but not all of them. So some games aren't going to be in our top lists, and that's the reason why. So for me, the biggest miss of the year, the game that I not only is ranked the highest that I didn't play, but that I regret that I haven't played, and not for lack of trying, I should mention, is Rising Sun. I am actually a backer on this game, and it's just my copy sitting there, it's ready to play, and I just have not been able to get it to the table for a variety of reasons. A couple missed opportunities where game nights fell apart. Other times you bring it and people just aren't into it. For whatever the reason, this game has not hit the table nearly as much or as often as I would like, and therefore I have not gotten in on the game of it yet. Um, I, I know I'd probably enjoy it as a huge fan of Blood Rage and similar games, but it has not hit the table yet, and uh, that's probably my biggest gaming regret of uh, 2018 in terms of games I have not played. Yeah, it's a fantastic game, but as you mentioned, one of the biggest problems with the game is since it is a static map and you can somewhat close it down, you really do need a full player count for that game to be fantastic. I mean, you could have a number of players, but remember you have to share with partners. So if you don't have enough players to switch up partners, it kind of shuts down a bit. So that's completely understandable. Uh, Another game that I wish I had gotten to table because I'm a real big real-time strategy fan, Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea. When this game came out on Kickstarter, I was like, oh, this is definitely something I need to consider buying. But it, it was so cost prohibitive. And it was once again one of those situations where you probably needed to get the expansions to really get the full feel of the game. And it was so overproduced as far as the components were concerned. And because it does take a significant amount of time to play, not to mention set up and break down, I haven't seen this game anywhere being played. And I really, really, really want to play it because. I love myself an RTS, and this looks to be a great one. I mean, it also has an underwater faction. It has a sky faction, and the boards kind of float underneath, and the, the there's a board above, and it's pretty much everything that I was looking for as far as an RTS games, with the exception of, once again, it was a Kickstarter, it was expensive, and no one seems to have it in the area. So hopefully one day I'll be able to get that game to the table. So speaking about overproduced games, Anthony, this is a topic that comes up often here. So what is your most unnecessarily overproduced game for 2018? Yes, that unnecessarily is important because sometimes it's yes. awesome. I love the overproduced. <laughs> um, uh, but sometimes, and this is, becoming a theme i think especially with all the games that kind of fit into that like 7.0 range in Mm -hmm. that they're overproduced and therefore expensive and yet they're not good enough to justify the price and there's too many of those games out there right now and they don't do well because of that like nobody's buying an 80 dollars game if it's a seven right and it's too many games like that that i might recommend otherwise but i'm just like ah, just skip it it's not worth trying to track this thing down it costs too much So for me, the game that really epitomized that this year was Way of the Panda. This is a game that we played back at Origins. I enjoyed it, didn't love it, found out the price, which was 80 bucks, and was like, ugh, I don't know about that. Played it further, reviewed it, and in the end, that's kind of where I ended up. It was, this game is fine, it's entertaining, it has some cool ideas to it. 
I would say play it if anybody has it, but nobody's going to have it because it's 80 bucks. <laughs> like, and it's not an $80 game. It's just a straight up Euro. But the reason it costs so much is you have all these Panda miniatures. There's three for each character. They all have their own sculpts. And then all the little tiny pandas miniatures, again, that you don't need. You could do this with like cubes. And I know that, you know, people want more thematic looking and visually interesting euros. But when you do that, the price is going to be 80 bucks. So if they managed to find a way to package this, so it was 50 or $60, I think I could have gotten around to recommending it to people. But as it is, there was just so much jammed in here and the cost inflated so much. It was uh, it was hard to recommend people to play this one. Now, for me, I can't argue that Everdale is overproduced in a bad way, with the exception of some significant components that really do almost completely break the game. So first off, it's the cardboard tree. Now, if you've seen this game, you've certainly seen the cardboard tree. It's pretty massive as far as a cardboard tree happens to be, and... The problems with it are as such, right? So first, you got to put this together. It's not the easiest thing to put together, especially when you're putting on the last piece or so. You have to kind of like jigger it such in a way that it kind of falls in on the right spot. But that's not really the big problem with it. The big problem is that your meeples are supposed to go on these branches. And the even worse part of it is there are supposed to be these bonus cards that are also supposed to be up on these branches. And the cards are pretty small, and the text is even smaller. So now you have to keep your eye on these public goals that you can't see because they're on the top of the tree, which once again is pretty big. Your meeples are up there crowding up the space. It's kind of really fun and thematic, and I I can't get too down on it. But considering the fact that the tree is a problem, And as I mentioned, the text is really tiny. I love the artwork here, and it's so fun and thematic. It's great. But yet at the same time, I can't tell you how many times people complain that they couldn't read the text on the cards. A lot of the cards that you're going to be choosing from are on a market, which means that they are laid out on the table. But because the artwork is so big on the cards, the text is then so tiny. And the text is very important in this game. So people constantly are picking up the cards, either it's the public goals or the cards in the market, which kind of gives away what they want to do, or they're trying to read them in their hand, and it's pretty problematic. So because of fantastically overproduced artwork and fantastically overproduced tree, it does make the game problematic to say the least. All right, Anthony, so here we go. Our final category here, most argued over games for 2018. Yeah, this is a fun one. These are the games that people just keep bickering about for whatever reason. Like, it's a game. It's not a game. It, it's it's clever. No, it's not. It's a gimmick. There's a lot of these. So it was actually, of all the categories we had, this was one of the harder ones to kind of nail one down. But in the end, I think I had to be, for me, the mind. The mind is this game, activity, hybrid, whatever you want to call it. I consider it a game. Some people don't. But you are trying to, like in the game, the game, quote unquote, you are trying to place cards down in an ascending order, but you can't talk to each other as you do it in a single pile. So it becomes this activity of like trying to give each other facial gestures and work it out and trying to place them in a way that um, is beneficial to everybody. It's very difficult, sometimes impossible. It's still fun, though, uh, in a weird way, especially in certain social situations. But man, there it's 
almost always 50 50 some people are like that's not a game i'm not doing that and other people are like it is a game you have to there's there's ways to get better at it i'm like i i don't really care but i find it entertaining so it reminds me of uh war games the only way to win is not to play at all <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's the thing i don't even really play it anymore because if you bring it people are just gonna bicker about it but uh if you have the, if you know that people want to play like i got the mind i guess there you go yeah all right so my most argued about controversial game this year for certain has to be and i know anthony's gonna be upset about this but it has to be keyforge oh come on (laughs) (laughs) i've been thinking about keyforge for quite some time and i've been trying to come up with an analogy that properly expresses my utter disbelief in this game And I have yet to come up with something appropriate because, in my opinion, there's been nothing in the creation of humanity that matches the soulless game that is Keyforge. What? Yeah, good, good, (laughs) see? Uh, The brilliance of the board gaming industry and the brilliance of its designers is these people are craftsmen. And... They bring something unique. They put themselves into the game. I mean, one of the things about these designer games is their name is on the game. Now, here you have Richard Garfield, who is one of the greatest game designers of all time. And I don't get any of him in this game. In fact, it's really nothing more than a soulless algorithm popping out some ridiculous names, right? The names are funny because they're completely stupid, but they're not connected to anything. It's not thematic as far as, oh, this name comes from this kind of planet or something. Nope, just random words. The decks are all unique, but they're not unique because of anything. It's just unique this way you don't buy a secondary market individual card to build a deck. So there's nothing really unique as far as that's concerned. And all the decks will have similar if not identical races so it's like you have a, th- a combination of these three and i have a combination of these three and when you play the cards you're going to play what you're able to do that's not really unique it's not a individual unique race that you're playing as far as the deck's concerned so the decks aren't really unique then there is the actual production of the game you have these keys you're forging for reasons that uh I guess there's reasons it doesn't really make a thing and they don't really look like keys. In fact, if you buy the base set of the game, it doesn't even come with instructions. How does a game not come with instructions? Not to mention the fact you can't even find the base set anywhere. So you have to come up with some like random pieces and bobbles to kind of make, Oh, this is the keys. And these are the, uh, the uh, unobtainium that you're producing and stealing. Come on guys. I mean, like the ember amber kind of thing. That's not even a thing. This this is literally just like the worst tropes of sci-fi fantasy. The artwork is ridiculous. It doesn't have any flair or interest to it. It's just a silly, ridiculous, soulless production. And I'm just, I'm just, I, I can't. I, I just can't. I didn't realize this was be mean time. I thought it was <laughs> most argued over game time. Well, it is I disagree arguable. with every single thing you said. Everything you said is wrong. Let's move on. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> if you'd like to hear more of Anthony and I arguing, you have to be a Patreon backer because that's when it gets really nasty, man. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Keyforge, it's a funny game because I think the reason that the unique aspect works for me is that it makes it more interesting when you're playing like a draft or something. If you're just opening a sealed deck and you're like, all right, figure it out and play. And there's a very large card pool. You know, the combinations of cards, you start to recognize what they can be. I don't really have a problem with the artwork. I think the artwork's good. I know I agree that's a little generic, but it's it's well done generic. <laughs> and it's like the mechanics are not procedurally generated, just the deck lists. So it's, you know, somebody designed the game. It's just the combination of those cards. Instead of you building your own deck, a computer did it. And I think for people who don't have time to build their own decks, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a good game. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a game. It's not a game. Look, how is it reason? not a game? <laughs> because it has no soul, man. These games have to have some sort of soul to it. And there's just, this is just a, this might as well be a bunch of cards with ones and zeros on it because there's, there's just nothing unique or interesting about this other than the fact that it happens to follow some sort of mathematical formula that makes my deck 0.1% different than your deck and some of the decks are great and some are not and you have to chain them down and some of the decks get recalled because it has a racist name in its title I mean like this is literally something that human hands did not touch and that's what just does not feel right but I will give it the fact that it's like look it's 10 bucks and I can't argue with that because most games now are 60 70 dollars if they're not kickstarted then they're 120 dollars so it's 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, all right. It's 10 bucks. So, and yeah. it's awesome. The end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's actually get onto some real awesome games, Anthony. And let's talk about our top two games from 2018. Let's see if uh, Keyforge made it up there. It didn't, but it is in my top 10. I will say that it is in my top 10 for the year. My, my number two game, the, the game that uh, almost came at the top. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, is Root, this game that manages to take everything I love about counterinsurgency and war games and all these games that I don't ever get to the table because they're long and complex and a lot of people roll their eyes at you if you try to put it on the table. It manages to do all that in this tiny little box with cute little woodland creatures that plays in about an hour and a half and has a ton of different options and it's all very asymmetrical. And while it does have a few issues if you play it a ton, the, you know, the balance in the different characters is definitely not such that it is good for like competitive play. The designers even come out and said that, that if you want to play this game competitively, you need to make some adjustments. Nonetheless, it's just amazing how it ends up playing out and then watching everybody kind of figure out how their own race of creatures works. And it's a much more satisfying game than like a vast, which was hard to teach, hard to learn, difficult to understand because you're doing so many different things than someone else. Very, very cool ideas, but just, so much barrier to entry that Root manages to somehow bring that barrier down quite a bit. And it just made it one of my favorite games of the year. I think the extra content that's already available with the Riverfolk expansion, the new expansion coming in 2019, this game is going to be up there on my shelf for quite a long time to come. Well, for me, when I'm looking at the best games of 2018, it's it's been a pretty good year. And there are a lot of great games to talk about here. But if I'm looking at the best of the best and the award winners here, I'm talking about two games that both in their mechanics and in their production have done above and beyond pretty much what anyone else has done. 
So first off, Rising Sun. Now, Rising Sun could be easily discounted as a bunch of like overly produced miniatures and outrageous artwork, but the game itself is fantastic. It's a dudes on the map game, and yet it's strategic and tactical throughout the way. You don't have to conquer every region. You don't have to knock out your enemy. There are a lot of different ways to win this game. The different technologies that come into play are fantastic. And the way that you ally yourself with other players, maybe betray them or switch things up a little bit, go alone for a a time being. Maybe you utilize some tremendous monsters or maybe you just kind of bulk up on money. Each individual clan has a special ability, which seems game breaking, but at the same time is well balanced throughout. So maybe you have the turtle faction that their bases are pretty much undestroyable, but maybe you have the faction that allows money to be used as Ronin. When you actually get down to battling, there is a unique gameplay element and you can win even though you've lost. So it is a beautiful game, a thematic game, and a really well-crafted game that introduces a lot of mechanics without at any time feeling too overwhelming. So that's Rising Sun. All right, and then my top game of 2018. This is another game that I know, Chris, you are not horribly enamored with, but hopefully you don't bash it like you did another game I like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, Teotihuacan. This is a, I, the first time I played it at Origins, I absolutely loved it. And then when I finally got my copy this fall, I still loved it. And I've played it many, many times since. It's a rondelle. You're upgrading your workers as you move around the rondelle to do different things, trying to collect resources, build out the pyramid, put decorations in the pyramid, move up these different tracks, learn these different technologies that help you do all this more efficiently. Everything is modular, so you can change the order in which these things go out, the tiles that you have access to, the upgrades that you're able to purchase. Uh, and you're all trying to manage this as your workers work their way up to ascension. And when they ascend, you get all these extra bonuses as well. So you have to kind of manage your dice so they don't get too powerful at the wrong time but at the same time they get powerful enough often enough that you can get those bonuses out of them the solo mode in this game is fantastic as well by david turchi uh has this nice little solo bot that it comes with very fun to play i i have not really played a lot of games that kind of caught my attention the way this game has as a euro you know the medium weight euro in a long time a lot of big heavy stuff has really been at the top of my list of late and It just really works for me. I really enjoy it. Aesthetically, very engaging as well. Uh, And just straight to the top of my list this year. Teotihuacan. Well, for me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm looking for a game that kind of blows away expectations, is dynamic and fun and thematic, but yet has really interesting, complex, crunchy mechanics. So the game that I'm going to talk about and my top game for the year is Feudum. Now, now Feudum probably hasn't hit a lot of tables for a couple of reasons. First off, the artwork and design is fantastical, right? It has a Adventure Time or a Sgt. Pepper's and a Lonely Heart Cup band look to it, depending on your particular generation. One uh, metaphor might do better than the other here. But basically, it's about a medieval time where you are trying to gain control and influence in different guilds and by your area majority and your area control and by moving across this fantastical kingdom that has monsters but also has 
your other players kind of jockeying for position. And based upon your card play, you're able to program a situation in which things trigger that trigger other things, which trigger other things, which really feels thematically appropriate. Because when the Farmer's Guild kind of triggers, then the farmer is able to produce, which then goes to the store. And now the store has goods. And then when the store triggers, that goes over the shipbuilder. And the shipbuilder is able to build ships and different things. So it just keeps triggering and triggering, triggering. And it looks daunting. And it is complex. But it's never overwrought. You never feel like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do here. And this is such a painful AP game. It's fun. It's fantastical. It really is everything that I hope for in a Euro game because it does take things a step far by just being a really engaging experience with two to five players. Now, this was a Kickstarter game and it has a lot of different expansions to it. And I'm hoping to get all the expansions to the table at the same time. Each expansion adds a little something different. So it might add just an aesthetic gameplay element. It might add an additional monster. There's mermaids that come in this game that you can pick up with the expansion. There are different cards that come into play. There's battling that comes into play in the game. So a lot of different dynamic gameplay elements here. If you do see Feudum at the table or if you do see it online, uh, I re- highly recommend you picking this game up. It's my game of the year, Feudum. Uh, this is a game I really, really need to play. Really need to play this. <laughs> All right. So that's our BGA Awards for 2018. We are so glad and so happy that you joined us throughout 2018. It was a big, big year for us. Five years podcasting, over 200 episodes. We're really looking forward to 2019, joining you at your different events, joining you at your different tables. Please share the podcast with other gamers. We really love to spread the great word of board gaming out to so many people. And once again, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk more about 2019 coming up. And until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.